Heavenly Father, we ask that by the Spirit that you would give us a love for your precepts and preserve our lives according to your love. O Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together, we may be strengthened in the faith and aided by your Spirit to dwell upon you and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus and what you've done for us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 16, I should say, John chapter 16, and we'll be reading from verse 5 through to verse 16. John chapter 16, reading from verse 5 through to verse 16. It's found on page 1069, if you have a church Bible, page 1069, if you have a church Bible. John chapter 16, reading from verse 5. The Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no longer, no, see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Here we again look at John's Gospel together, and we're looking at the words of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He has had the last supper with the disciples, and now he's giving them some final instructions before he goes to be crucified. And we've been looking at what the Lord Jesus has said to the disciples and the distress that the disciples are feeling. Even back in chapter 14, we see that their hearts are troubled. Chapter 14, verse 1, he says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, and encourages them to trust in the Lord. Uh, but he's even given them more reasons for their hearts to be troubled, even in chapter 15 and chapter 16. And so we see in verse 5 of chapter 16, he says, now I'm going to him who sent me, and yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Yet again, the disciples are saddened with what Jesus has been saying to them. What has Jesus been saying to them? Well, he's told them that he is going away, which of course has filled them with grief to learn that the Messiah who they've trusted in, uh, that would redeem Israel from all their enemies, is going away. And then of course in chapter 15, there's been some great distress for them as well as they hear how the world will respond to them as disciples of Christ Jesus. Uh, we saw back in verse 18 of chapter 15 last week, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. No one likes to be told that they are going to be hated by others. But this is what the Lord Jesus tells his disciples, that they will experience hatred from the world. And then he is going away. This is distressing for them. The world's going to hate us, and then our teacher, the one we trust in, he is leaving. And so, of course, we read that their hearts are filled with grief in verse 6, that they're filled with grief. But the Lord Jesus gives them some comfort. 
He gives them an encouragement. And what is this encouragement to them? Well, he tells them that he is going to send a helper to them. And we see that in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He is not leaving his disciples all alone. No, he is sending them a counsellor. He's sending them the comforter, the one who will encourage them. Who is this counsellor? Well, if you look back with me at verse 26 of John chapter 15, just a few verses earlier, the counsellor is referred to there in verse 26, and it says, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. There we see who the counsellor is. It's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whom the Lord will send to his disciples. Now, how will, his, how will the Holy Spirit help the disciples in a world that hates them, in a world that does not have Jesus dwelling in it. Well, we read in verse 8 how the counsellor will help. What will the counsellor do? Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will come, and that world that hates you, he will convict the world, people of the world, of that kingdom of darkness. He will convict them. Of, of their guilt of sin. Now, what does it mean to be convicted? Well, there's different ways that this word can be translated. Uh, one way that it can be translated is as rebuking, that the Holy Spirit will rebuke the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, but one of the ways that I, I like how it's translated back in chapter 3 of John's Gospel in our Bibles is the way that it has the idea of exposure, of light coming and exposing sin. So if you turn back with me to John chapter 3, verse 20, John chapter 3, a very famous chapter for particularly verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Uh, but down in verse 20, uh, there's an excellent verse there as well that helps us understand what it means and what the Holy Spirit's work is. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's the same Greek word in, at the end of verse 20 that is used over in chapter 16, verse 8, to speak about the work of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that it's exposure, that there's this light that comes upon people's evil deeds and exposes them for people to see. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he convicts people, he exposes their sin for them to see how sinful they actually are. Now, what sort of sin does the Holy Spirit expose? Well, we continue in the verses that are in chapter 16. We read in verse 8, he says, it says that when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. What is the sin that the Holy Spirit focuses on? The fact of unbelief in Christ Jesus. Why would he focus on unbelief in Christ Jesus? Why would the Holy Spirit expose such unbelief? Well, it's because unbelief is the root of all other sins, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, without belief, it is impossible to please God. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you will not follow with any fruit. All the fruit of righteousness that comes of following God's word comes, its root is in our belief in Christ Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit, his work is to convict, to expose the sin of unbelief. But he also does other work. What is the other work that he does? He, he exposes righteousness 
Now, this is very difficult. This actually, this text before us today is one that is very difficult, that lots of commentators flip-flop all over the place as to try and explain what is being spoken of here. Uh, but the Lord Jesus, I think, is telling us firstly that the Holy Spirit will convict the world in regards to unbelief, but then about righteousness. He will convict the world about their righteousness, and that's in verse 10. And I think it's the world's righteousness that is being spoken of here firstly because he is ex- convicting the world the world. And we understand that people do think that they have a righteousness, that they have a right standing, that they do the right thing. But the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He comes along and shows that their righteousness is as filthy rags, that the way that they live is not right. They think it's right, but it is in fact, actual fact, unrighteousness. And we saw that in in Isaiah chapter 64, didn't we? Where the righteousness, the righteous acts are actually as filthy rags. And so this means that all the good works of the world, so-called good works, are actually works of unrighteousness. And the Holy Spirit exposes that. The Holy Spirit exposes to Muslims that their righteous acts are as filthy rags. The Holy Spirit exposes to Jews that their righteous acts are as filthy rags. The Holy Spirit exposes to Buddhists and Hindus that their righteous acts are as filthy rags. And then the Holy Spirit also convicts them in relation to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is where the commentators really struggle. They go, what is this righteousness that's being spoken of here? Is it the righteousness of the the world or is it the righteousness of Jesus Christ? I think that there's a deliberate ambiguity here. That he does that. The Holy Spirit's work, he shows their unrighteousness, the world's unrighteousness, and then he shows the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I think that is what is meant by the next part of verse, uh, verse 10. It says, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. The world looks at Jesus, they reject him, they see him as unrighteous. You see that in the pages of the New Testament. The Jews hate him, they think that he is blaspheming all the time. But we know that Jesus was righteous all along. Why do we know that Jesus was righteous? Because he went to the Father. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension to the Father's right hand, we know that he did the right thing in the eyes of God. That he was not a blasphemer when he claimed to be the Son of God. He was telling the truth. And so the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world of their unrighteousness. And he also convicts them that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is indeed the true righteousness which they need. And then the Holy Spirit also does what work? What what does he convict the world of? Well, he convicts them about judgment. We see that in verse 11. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Once again, the commentators, they go all over the shop on this. Which judgment is being spoken of here? I think firstly, it's the judgment of the world as they judge the Lord Jesus Christ. They make wrong judgments. And as they judge God himself, they make wrong judgments. And the Holy Spirit comes and tells them, you are making a wrong judgment, exposes their judgments as wrong. And how do we know they're wrong judgments? Well, verse 11 tells us. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned the prince that they follow. He is condemned in his judgments, and so they too will be condemned in their judgments. They are wrong in their judgments. And of course, the Holy Spirit here convicts them not just about their judgments, but about the judgment of Jesus Christ that is coming, the final judgment that is going to come. This is once again where people want to focus on, is it the judgments of the world that is focused on by the Holy Spirit, or is it the judgment of Jesus Christ that is focused upon? I think it can be both once again. He exposes the wrong judgments of 
those who are out there, when they claim there is no God and they think that's a right judgment, the Holy Spirit comes along and helps them to see that that's a wrong judgment and then convicts them that there is a judgment to come from God against them for their wrong judgments. And what happens then when the Holy Spirit does this work? He comes and convicts the world in regard to sin, in regard to righteousness, and in regard to judgment. What happens next? Well, there's two ways that people go about when they feel this convicting work, this exposing work of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, they can repent. They can believe in Jesus, which is what they're supposed to do according to verse 9. They recognise that they haven't believed in Jesus and they should believe in Jesus. And so they do believe in Jesus and they ask for Christ's righteousness to be given to them. And they fear the judgment that is to come and they ask God to forgive them for their wrong judgments. What's the other way, though, that they can go? Well, they can try hiding their sin with more unbelief, with more filthy rags, with more unrighteousness and with more bad judgments. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that he exposes their sin, and then they go in two ways. And it's like when our sin is paraded out in the media in all its ugliness. We see this again and again happening, and it's happened before, happens even more so now with the invention of the internet, where our sin can suddenly be paraded out in the media in all its ugliness. Suddenly our sin is on the front page of the papers. Sin we'd kept in hiding before now is suddenly exposed for the world to see. It's the headline story for television news programs. Magazines start to do exposés on Joel Radford or whoever it may be. And, of course, the internet preserves it all in all its ugliness for people to continue to read. And, of course, the internet adds social media discussion these days as well. Your sin is up there in the news headlines, and then it's out in social media. They link it in, if uh, the organisation allows linking. Uh, there's been this disagreement in our country recently about linking to news sites in social media. But it gets linked in these days to social media, and there's all these comments by the world about your sin. This is what it means to have your sin exposed. The light of the world's media comes and shows how bad your sin is. You may not have thought it was that bad, but once it's out there in the television networks, once it's out there in the print media, once it's out on the internet for all to see, you realise how bad you actually are. And what happens then? Well, people go two ways again, don't they? People can repent of their sin as it's out there for everybody to see. They admit their sin and they ask for forgiveness. And they accept the consequences and try and do right. And they may experience partial forgiveness from people. They may experience that some people go, look, I'm going to forgive that person. They've asked for forgiveness. I saw them cry on television. I've watched it. I think that they should have my forgiveness. We should give them a break for what they've done. And so some forgiveness is given. And they may feel a bit of peace, even in the midst of the pain of having their sin exposed. But what do other people do? They don't admit their fault. They do not repent. Instead, they go into damage control. As their sin is all over the media and all over the internet, they go into damage control. They deny, deny, deny. They lie, lie, lie. They blame, blame, blame other people 
for their sin. They go on a two-hour tell-all interview special with the famous celebrity talk show host to explain their side of things. And they may even start trying to scrub the internet. You can pay companies, apparently, to do this, to scrub the internet of your sin. From what I can gather, they just fill the internet with positive articles about you so that gradually that's what comes up in the search engine results. But what happens? Well, the exposés often continue. You have that two-hour talk show host uh, where you explain yourself, but people aren't satisfied, and other sins come forward. It may be that your sins were out there initially, it was just a few people talking, but other people have been sinned against by you. They now come forward and they share what you have done. And your efforts to scrub the internet, to cover up, are now revealed as well, on top of what you'd done previously. And then the police get involved. And the criminal charges are laid. And then life imprisonment is given in a lifetime of shame and humiliation behind bars. Now, you think a media circus is bad. You'd hate your sin to be up in the media. Well, the Holy Spirit's convicting. His expose of your sin is far worse. Now, you may say, how? Well, the Holy Spirit may not make the internet go abuzz about you, but he can certainly make your head go abuzz about your sin. You read certain Psalms, like Psalm 32, where the person is overwhelmed by the weight of their sin and they have anxiety and they feel even a physical pain of the stress of dwelling upon their sin. They notice one sin, they notice another sin and another sin. The Holy Spirit brings them forward and exposes them and the weight comes down harder than it would be if the whole of Australia found out about your sin. It's nothing to the Holy Spirit filling you with a sense of guilt for what you've done against the living God. This is what the Holy Spirit does when, the, when Jesus speaks about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And once again, people go into two different modes. What do they do as they feel the weight of the Holy Spirit upon them? They go into damage control, try to cover their sin by more sin. They examine Christ more so that they can have even greater unbelief in him. Remember, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts them of unbelief in Christ Jesus. What do some people do? They actually look more at Christ Jesus. They look at more books on atheism to deny, deny, deny that Jesus is the Christ. Or they cling to their righteousness all the more fully. As they feel the weight of their sin, they then say, no, 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 but I'm not a bad person. Look at all the good things that I've done. And so they cling to their righteousness. They're so-called good works. And, of course... They continue to make false judgments about their own sin. They say, look at my good work over here. And these bad works that I'm feeling guilty about, they're not that bad. Or everybody does them. It's not that big a deal. As I'm feeling the weight of these sins, to err is human. I'm human. So of course I err. It's not that big a deal. But what eventually happens well, you can't scrub the Holy Spirit. You may be able to scrub the internet, but you can't scrub the Holy Spirit from your life. If he wants to convict you, he will convict you. And eventually, Judgment Day arrives. 
and your sin is exposed in all its fullness and a sentence is carried out against you. You are condemned as a criminal against the living God and worthy of eternal punishment in hell. That's the way people can go when they feel the expose of the Holy Spirit, of the sin of their lives. But the other way, of course, is that they can admit defeat. They can ask, what must I do to be saved and repent and trust that Christ will give them his righteousness, that he will forgive them for their sins. They trust that Christ will scrub them clean and take away their guilt at the cross. That's what he was doing at the cross so many years ago. He was taking the guilt of those who trust in him and then giving them his righteousness so that they have a right standing before God and then he will not judge them as they deserve on judgment day. Is this truly possible, you may ask? Well, yes, Jesus can make all sin go away. He can make all sin go away. Like scrubbing the internet, he can scrub our lives of sin. And he does it, why? Because of his love, because of his mercy. Imagine you and all your sin has been out there on the internet, out there for the media to see, social media has been commentating, and then it can all be wiped away by one person. And that's what the Lord Jesus does for us at a far greater level as we feel the weight of our sin in our mind, as the Holy Spirit convicts us, Jesus can come and take our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he takes our sin away from us. So which is it for you? Is your head abuzz even now about your sin? Is the Holy Spirit rebuking you now, convicting you, exposing your sin? Do not turn away from the Holy Spirit if he is doing that to you now, convicting you of your sin. It is a privilege that the Holy Spirit doesn't let you go on living in ignorance to your sin. Come to Christ. Come to Christ now and accept his offer to scrub your life of sin by faith in him. Ask for Christ's righteousness to be put to your account. Ask that on judgment day it be a day of joy for you because you're going to meet your saviour and receive an eternal inheritance rather than to receive judgment and so that the day is a day of dread. If your head is abuzz now about your sin, go to Christ. It's a privilege that the Holy Spirit is making you feel convicted about your sin. Go to Christ. Don't trust in the conviction of sin as a way of salvation. I want to add that in here because conviction of sin is supposed to lead you to repentance. If you're convicted about your sin, you're not saved necessarily. There are many people who have been convicted of their sin and have not gone to Christ. Don't trust in a conviction of sin that you are therefore saved. No, a a conviction of sin is meant to lead you to repentance. Come to Christ. Accept his work. that he is the one who will scrub your life of sin. And if you are a Christian, do you thank God for sending the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin? It's one of the greatest things the Holy Spirit has ever done for you, is to make you aware of how bad you actually are, to make you aware of your sin of unbelief, to make you aware of your unrighteousness, to make you aware of your wrong judgments one of the greatest things the Holy Spirit has ever done for you. Why? 
because otherwise you would never have known how bad you actually were. You would have continued a life of ignorance to your sin, just like people whose sin is not exposed in the media think that they can keep on going. It's only when it's exposed in the media that they realise how bad it actually was, how corrupt they were when they feel the judgement of many people against them. We would have been the same if the Holy Spirit had not convicted us of our sin. And then why is it one of the greatest things to experience? Because without conviction of sin, without that painful experience of our guilt being brought up in our mind, we would never have gone to God for forgiveness. We would never have clung to Christ. We would never have believed in Christ. We would never have asked for his righteousness. We would never have escaped from judgment, the judgment that we deserve. It's because of the Spirit's conviction that we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. It's because of what the Holy Spirit did many years ago in some of our lives, may have been more recent for you, months ago. It's because of the Holy Spirit's conviction that you are now receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's why we sing Whittle's hymn, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We don't know how the Holy Spirit does it. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin. But I know I have believed because he did that for me, because he convinced me of my sin and revealed Jesus through the word and created faith in me that now I am persuaded that he is able to keep me for that judgment day in his hands. So we thank God for the convicting work of the Spirit. Do you thank God that he sent the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin? And what else should we do if we're a Christian? We should thank God. Secondly, we should pray that the Holy Spirit would come to our church, that the Holy Spirit would make our church a Spirit-filled church. Do we pray that we will indeed be a Spirit-filled church? What does a Spirit-filled church look like? Well, it's a church where people are convicted of their guilt. That's what a spirit-filled church is like. That's what we get taught to us in John chapter 16. Guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. A church where belief in Christ Jesus and his righteousness and his judgment to come are prized above all else. Signs, wonders and miracles are wonderful when the Holy Spirit gives them. But wasn't the greater work of the Holy Spirit to convict men of their guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment? Signs, wonders and miracles, aren't they the preliminary work that God does so that people will come to believe in Christ Jesus, to be convicted of their unbelief in Christ Jesus? You see that in the New Testament. Jesus talks about the miracles testifying to the fact that he is the Son of God. And so they're supposed to believe in him. Signs, wonders and miracles 
Do they save people? No. It's conviction of guilt that saves people as they come to understand how sinful they are and then trust in Jesus Christ. So the priority for prayer, for the Spirit's work, what should it be? What should we be praying that the Holy Spirit does in our church? Convict people. Expose the sin in people so that they flee to Christ. Now, why do we pray for that? Why do we pray that God would do that by the Holy Spirit? Well, no one else can do the work. No one else can do the work of conviction of sin, of exposing sin. Satan won't do the work. He'll do signs and wonders and miracles, but he won't convict people of their sin. It's the last thing he wants people to do. And humans, do humans want their sin exposed? What did we read back in chapter 3 of John's Gospel? They hate it. They run from the light. No one volunteers to the media or their sin. No criminal rings up the media and says, by the way, I did this, this and this. You should put that on the front paper. No one does that. They keep their sin secret. Humans do not move towards exposure of sin. There's nothing in them that wants their sin exposed. They want to continue in unbelief. They want to continue in unrighteousness. They want to continue in their poor, their wrong judgments. They don't want to move from their sin. They don't want conviction of sin. They won't ask for it. So it has to be by the Holy Spirit. It has to be by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, he won't do it here on earth in the way he was doing at that time either. It's very interesting what he says as the, whole, as the disciples are, are concerned about him leaving. He says in verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus did go around convicting people of their sin by his teaching. But he's gone now. He's no longer here the way he was. How is he here now if he's here at all? It's through the Holy Spirit. And so if we want conviction of sin at this church, we have to pray. And we have to pray that it is the Holy Spirit who will come and fill this place with a sense of their guilt so that they then can do what? Just experience pain? Do we like people at our church to feel the guilt? And we love a fire-breathing sermon on Sundays where everybody goes out feeling bad about themselves. That's what we want the Holy Spirit to do at this church. No, we want the Holy Spirit to come, convict people of how bad they are, but then to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and go out joy-filled because the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes to how sinful they are, but also opened their eyes to how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is in his righteousness and that he is no longer their judge but their saviour. He is the one who will look after them on judgment day. And so that's why we pray for this church to be a spirit-filled church. Do you pray for this church to be a spirit-filled church? Do you pray that people will come here and feel the guilt of their sin? And then sing with us. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 
Are you praying that more people will come through those doors and be able to sing those words with us in due course? Because they know whom they have believed. They don't understand how the Holy Spirit did the work of convincing them of sin, but they know that he has, and they know that they believe in Jesus and are convinced that he is able to keep that which they've committed unto him against that day. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Holy Spirit, we do come and we praise you. You are the one who has the power to convict men of sin on this earth. And we thank you for exposing the sin of many in this church so that we have trusted in Christ Jesus for the cleansing of sin. O oh Lord, we ask that you would continue to come to this church. May we be a spirit-filled church where conviction of sin is frequent, but eternal life is also regularly received because people come to trust in Christ Jesus and his righteousness rather than their own. And we pray this in your name.